Hey, MedTech Talk podcast listeners. This is Tom Salemi. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Kirk Nielsen. He is a managing director of Versin Ventures. Uh, he's a uh, member of our advisory board for the MedTech conference, so uh, he's been a big help there. Unfortunately, he's not going to be able to attend. He's got to attend to Versin business overseas on June 1st, so he will not be in Minneapolis, but you should be. Uh, he was going to assist us with our venture panel. But uh, I handed the uh, handed the keys over to Joe Biller of Sightline, and Joe's doing a great job. So we uh, we look forward to that presentation. But Kirk is here today to talk a bit about himself, to tell us how he got into medtech, what path he took to uh, to land a uh, a great job at a great venture firm, and uh, most importantly for you, what Versant intends to do with the four hundred million dollars it just raised. Kirk says a portion of it will go into medtech. He says they will do early stage uh, if they can and uh, sort of describes what they'd be looking for in an early stage opportunity and talked about some of the uh, some examples of when going early worked well for Versant in MedTech. So uh, it was great to uh, talk to Kirk and I hope you uh, enjoy this conversation before I let you go. Don't forget to register for the MedTech conference. It's coming up on June 1st, uh, we've got a couple of uh, great announcements we've made over the last two weeks. We've got uh, Joe Almeida from Baxter as a keynote. We've got Mike Mahoney from Boston Scientific as a keynote. And uh, we've got uh, many, many other uh, great elements of the agenda you should you should be checking out. It's all going to be up on medtechconference.com. So check it out and then register. You can still use your MedTech Talk promo code to save yourself $200 off registration. So once you see the agenda and you see how great it is, make sure you register and use the MedTech Talk discount code. Now let us get into this conversation with Kirk Nielsen. I said Nelson when I opened this podcast and uh, at that point I kind of didn't want to stop and and correct myself. So uh, I do know it's Nielsen. I know Kirk uh, well and I'm grateful that he took a few minutes to uh, share his Inversant's story today. Kirk Nelson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Uh, we want to get into your, your big news. You, you, you Versant uh, reported a, a fundraising earlier this year, which is always uh, something to celebrate, uh, and we can get into the strategy and such. But I'd like to open up these conversations just with sort of a, a discussion about what brings folks into med tech. I think, uh, I think people generally are, are drawn to the notion of, of doing well and by doing good and, and helping patients when they can. But the, the origins of those stories uh, start in different places. When did you sort of know you want to be part of the, the med tech scene? Obviously, you, you grew up in, in Minnesota, so I'm sure that's partly imprinted on your, uh, on your psyche, but uh, I'm sure there, w- there was more than that. What, what, brought you, uh, what brought you to the med tech sector? Yeah, I mean, I think like like everything in life, I guess it was a little bit you know planning and serendipity. So, I actually in in undergrad was a biology major. I was pre med, thought I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up, and um, you know, as I graduated, I, I wasn't going to go directly to med school because I was going to play hockey for a living for a while, and did that for a few years, and during that time you know, medicine, you know, was changing and continues to change. And I just wasn't sure it was what I wanted to sign up for uh, in terms of actually being a practicing physician. And so, uh, but I wasn't sure it wasn't what I wanted either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I decided, this was 1999, I decided to um, 
to go into the consulting um, world for a little while, you know, really just as a way to get to know business. I thought it'd be just a great, you know, kind of one-on-one on business generally. And so I took a job at Bain, San Francisco, um, in their San Francisco office. And, you know, it was really just, again, a way for me to, to learn business. And I did some healthcare um, work while I was, and I did some non-healthcare work as well. And I came to realize that I liked business. Um, and I really decided at that point I wanted to focus on the business of healthcare. And so, you know, I went back to school uh, in 2002 to get my MBA. And during that time, I spent the summer at Medtronic. And I loved it. You know, I just, you know, it was a great company. Um, you know, it was a really interesting time in the industry. And, you know, you could kind of, as you said earlier, you could, you know, see yourself having a career of doing well by doing good. And so coming out of, of school, I joined Medtronic as a sales rep, um, which was something I really wanted to do. I, I really wanted to have the experience of, of carrying a bag and having a quota. And, you know, I spent, you know, you, you wanted to do that three years. I wanted to do that. Yeah, it was interesting. I'd had somewhere along the way, I got connected with, with Glenn Nelson, uh, who I'm sure you oh, know, of course. Uh, who passed away last year. And he was at the time the vice chairman of Medtronic. And um, uh, some, someone put in touch, me in touch with him. He was kind enough to invite me in and, and um, you know, really to give me some, some insight. I, of course, at that point, didn't appreciate who Glenn was. Uh, I've come <laughs> to appreciate after the fact that, you know, being the vice chairman of Medtronic was a pretty big deal. And, you know, he basically said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And this was, this was just prior to me going to business school. And I said, you know, I think I, I may want to run a med tech company someday. And he said, well, if you do, you're likely going to, you know, move your way up through the commercial side of the business. And his view at least was that if you're going to end up going up the commercial side of the business and, if, and you know, someday maybe run a business, you should understand, you know, customers at a very intimate le- level. And the best way to do that is to go and, and carry a bag. And so, you know, Medtronic didn't do much of that. I actually think I was the first, um, I was the first post MBA hired that they made into a sales position. Um, but for me, I, the more I thought about Glenn's advice, you know, the more, um, I came to appreciate it. And I really did, you know, come to believe that it was going to be a good experience. And it was, it was just, you know, three years effectively of being in the trenches and, you know, it probably was in 500, surgeries, uh, you know, basically selling pacemakers and defibrillators. So you're in basically every case, um, you know, we launched a number of products that, you know, during that time, that was when a lot of the recalls happened. Um, a lot of studies were coming out, you know, um, to, uh, really accelerate growth in that segment. CRT had come online, you know, which kind of transformed that business. And so it was just a really exciting time and I just loved it. Um, but I came to realize as well as what wasn't what I was going to do forever. And so um, at that point, I knew I was going to stay in med tech, wasn't sure exactly kind of what my long-term path would be. And that's when actually Versant um, came into the picture. I'd, I'd known them a little bit through uh, work I'd done at Bain. And in the end, they were going to hire someone who looked kind of like my profile. And, you know, my wife and I at the time had 10 uh, one-year-old kids and we decided we had one more adventure left in us, and so we moved from Minneapolis out to California, and I started at Versant back in 2006. Wow, that, that's, a, that's a, a, a nice move with a kid. Normally with a kid, you end up going back home, but, uh, but certainly you're, you're still mobile enough that you can, you can try the, the next adventure. Uh, we, you, you talked a bit about your, 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 your time in hockey. Uh, I'm just curious, and I don't want to dwell on, I know you, you, you played professionally for a time, and you played for, for my hometown Bruins, so that, that's exciting. But <laughs> did... Uh, how much of what uh, uh, made you 
successful hockey player. How much of that did you tap into being in sales? Because I have to imagine that's I've never done it before, but I have to imagine it's it's a different type of competition, obviously, but there's there's a competitive element to it, right? Or did you see it as, as kind of a, a different role, maybe more of an instructional role? How, how do you view sales in, in medical devices? You know, it's a little bit of both. I mean, clearly, you know, you, you, you have to compete for sure, especially in, you know, in CRM circa 2004 to 2006. I mean, it was really intense. You know, we had, you know, Medtronic, obviously the market share leader, but you had Guidant uh, that was launching a number of products and was trying to take Sherry at St. Jude as well. And every single account was, you know, kind of trench warfare. And so no question that, you know, I think the things that, you know, drive athletes, you know, are going to drive you, you know, in other parts of your life as well. That's, that's part of it. Um, but there's also, as you said, there's, that's a very technical sale. And so you probably spent a year, you know, training on the devices and the procedures. And, and uh, as you said, a lot of, you know, what you, you know, a lot of your role is a service component. And so you got to know what you're doing. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think, you know, certainly, you know, in any sales job, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you know, kind of draw on the, the competitiveness and, you know, have to, you know, do what you can every, every single day to, to move the ball forward. Uh, but at the same time, especially in that, in that segment, you know, you really have to be prepared and there really is a, a you know, kind of a highly technical component of, of what you do. And, and with the move to, to Versant, what was, what was that like? Uh, joining this, uh, I mean, top tier firm is great to, to get in, in there and, uh, and to, to really start your, your venture career with, with that team. What was it like moving to, to the West Coast? Did you know it was going to be a, a shorter stint? You were going to end up back in, in Minnesota? Or were you open to, uh, to relocating and, and building a life? And uh, really what was then and still remains, I suppose, the, the MedTech Startup Hub? No, I mean, it's, it's a good question. No, we, we thought of it as a two- to three-year um, Experience. I mean, and, and actually, you know, Versant was very, very clear at the beginning that there wasn't going to be a path to partner uh, at the firm. Um, and so, you know, I, so I went just thinking this is going to be a, a really interesting two or three years. I'd learn a lot, get involved in a number of companies, and, you know, see the venture side of the business. And then I thought what I would do would be to plug into one of Versant's companies. And that's actually a model that a number of, of people who've joined Versant have ended up doing. Some who have stayed in those companies and others have, have come back into the firm and are, are now investors. So I went thinking, or we went thinking, we were going to be there for two or three years. We didn't know at that point if we'd stay in California uh, longer than that or, or end up moving back. But no, the plan certainly wasn't to go and you know cut my teeth at Versant in California and then come back and open an office for the firm. You know, again, I think that, you know, in the end, a lot of that ended up being serendipity as well. But uh, the plan was just to go to get a, you know, really what I thought would be a really valuable two or three experience with the firm. So you, you didn't go to Versant with a, with a uh, you were specifically told there was not a partner path uh, in front of you? Yeah, and it wasn't just for me. I mean, I think every, you know, every associate that the firm's hired has been, has been told that. And I think it's actually, you know, good in a way, mm-hmm. you know, because I think otherwise you get into, you know, an issue where, um, you know, expectation setting, you know, goes awry and, and people get disappointed. And so, you know, it has been the case that some people who were, who were told those things have stuck around longer than that. But, you know, I, I went in very much thinking it was going to be a, you know, two to three year experience and, and, um, you know, it turned out it, it's now been 11 in, in counting, but, um, but, uh, yeah, that was when I went in, that was the expectation. So what went into changing, uh, Changing that writing on the wall, changing their mind, changing your mind, and then actually becoming a, a a partner at the firm. 
Yeah, it's it's a good question. You know, obviously it's it's kind of hard to think back and, and and point to any one or two things, but you know, I think it was um, you know just an evolution where over time you start to take on more and more. You know, I think anyone who ends up becoming a partner at a venture firm, you know, at some point, you know, needs to wear three different hats. One is is making investments and, and generating returns. Uh, a second is you know to you know build the firm and and um, you know, playing a key role um, on that dimension. The third is helping to raise to raise capital. You know, over the course of the last 11 years, I've had the chance to do to do all three of those things, and obviously, I've had a lot of support along the way. And so, I think it's just been kind of an evolution over time. And and uh, this sounds like it's a situation that's going to work out for you long term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so far so good. So yeah, we just you know, we just raised just raised our our sixth fund, and and um, you know, at this point, um, you know, we'll start we'll start investing that fund probably in the next next month or so here. And the strategy, as I think you and I have talked about before, is is very very similar to the strategy of our fifth fund, and that's going to be, you know, 80% biotech give or take, um, which is down a little bit from what we've done in our earlier funds. And and I can share more about that, um, but still very much, um, you know, focused on and excited about med tech as well. So that'll comprise the the rest of the fund to so 20% or so. And and I head up those out of our office here in Minneapolis. Yeah, well, let's let's get into the fund. It's a $400 million fund. Um, how, how, when did you begin fundraising, and what was the uh, – provide a little color on, on the fundraising uh, climate. What was it like out there? Yeah, it actually was pretty good. I mean, I, I, so as, as you know, the fundraising environment as we raised our fifth fund, which was really kind of 2012, 2013, was, was really tough. Um, you know, you kind of had to run, run the gauntlet uh, of of LPs that had interest in in venture, and at that point, you know, there was some concern about venture returns broadly, not just healthcare, but but, but broadly healthcare or a venture firm uh, venture returns. And you also had, you know, post 2008, a number of LPs that were still still working through allocation issues where they wanted to be a certain percent allocated to private equity, and in many cases because public markets had had dropped so much. And they had, you know, on their books at least, you know, a number of valued um, quote-unquote unicorns. In many cases, they weren't, you know, putting new capital against against the category. And so, yeah, that you had healthcare, which I think there were questions around, you know, can you generate, you know, um, top-tier returns in in healthcare? And then, you know, specific to early stage, you know, the question was, you know, you can get to good cash on cash multiples, but can you get an IRR? that makes sense. And that obviously relates to time, time to exit. And then I think what's changed between then and now is you've obviously had, I think it's two things. I think one is you've had really kind of a, you know, amazing exit environment over the last three or four years in life sciences broadly, uh, both M&A and IPO. And I also think firms, you know, versus otherwise have gotten a lot smarter about business model and, you know, trying to find ways to generate high quality returns in shorter periods of time. And, um, you know, one way we've done that that we talk about is build a buy where we bring in a corporate investor from the beginning and effectively, you know, instead of building a, a spec home, we're building a custom home for that, for that buyer. And, you know, that's, that's one way we do it, but there are others as well. And so, you know, I think as a result, when we went out, um, earlier in 2016, we went out, I guess it was late spring, you know, I think the market receptivity was good. And so we ended up, um, you know, we targeted 350, ended up closing at 400. Um, and really had it wrapped up kind of late fall and then ended up um, closing 
I guess it was very early part of this year. We're going to take a break from this conversation to uh, just remind you to sign up for the MedTech Talk newsletter. We'll send it to your inbox each week. We'll do it for free. All you need to do is give us your email. So if you're subscribing to this uh, this podcast, but you're not receiving the newsletter that accompanies it, uh, just go to medtechconference.com. You'll be able to sign up for the MedTech Talk newsletter, and uh, you'll get uh, our future podcasts sent directly to your inbox. Some uh, choice videos from um, our interviews and our past programs. And again, additional links and such uh, that sort of uh, embellish and amplify the message of this podcast. Now let's get back into this conversation with Kirk Nielsen. And is this the firm, the first fund raised uh, without any of the, the founding partners uh, listed as managing directors? I, I see the managing directors listed as uh, Brad Bowles and Darrell Davis, yourself, uh, Tom uh, Wubot. I was having trouble saying his name. Voivoda, yeah. <laughs> I was close. And Robin Prager. I mean, I was I was there in 99 when Verson first formed and uh, obviously knew a lot of that team. Is this the first time that the fund has been raised without any of those founding folks uh, as part of the story? Uh, yes. So so uh, both both Bill Link and, and Sam Clella were involved in our fifth fund. Um, you know, they were managing directors in title and it really played a, you know, kind of a strong advisory role. Um, uh, but heading into the newest fund, yeah, in terms of kind of the, the managing directors on the cover, uh, it's the names that you mentioned. And so this would be the first fund that, that really would be um, a fundraise, you know, kind of without any of the original founding partners, um, you know, explicitly involved. Uh, that's a remarkable uh, transition. It's it's not uh, common where a firm can can really move on to a sort of a next generation of partnerships uh, or partners. How, how did that play into the uh, the fundraising process? Was it? I'm sure it was a topic of conversation. How were those questions sort of addressed? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those questions you know came up last time around. It was we raised the fifth fund. Um, you know, that was really the the first fund where. You know, there was a kind of a meaningful, um, meaningfully different team uh, in terms of you know who was involved in investing fund four, and then who was involved in investing fund five. And as you said, I mean, these are, you know, I think it's a testament to Versen and you know what the founders have have built, and and I think what the you know next generation of, of partners have have um, you know built on top of that. Um, you know, I think we were able, as a result of transition, and you know, be in a position where, um, you know, we were able to raise that that fifth fund, which was a difficult fund to raise, as I talked about with the environment. But the, you know, really the the message heading into fund six was really it's a, kind of a more of the same fund. You know, if you look at the team that invested, you know, the kind of the latter half of fund four, all of fund five, and and the team that will invest fund six, you know, it's largely the same. So it's it's really a store of continuity at this point, which I think is a LP community, it's a pretty conservative bunch, so mm-hmm. I think that resonates. Terrific. Well, let's talk uh, specifically then about how you're viewing medtech. You mentioned some of the innovative approaches to, to investing in biotech, build to buy. Uh, is there a way of, of, of altering or advancing the, the medtech in, investment model? And, and are, are you doing that with Versa? Is there, is there something you'll be doing differently in this fund than you, you've done in past funds? It's a good question. So, you know, on the biotech side, you know, we do some of that. Uh, clearly, many of our companies are, are still, you know, built in a traditional fashion where you raise a Series A and, and take it forward, um, you know, with a venture syndicate. 
Um, I think we've done certainly more in Fund 5 and, and, and expect to in Fund 6 of these, you know, build-to-buy type deals. In some cases, it's with, um, you know, in some cases, it's with explicit rights that a corporate investor will have. In some cases, it may not be. You know, I look at, we just announced a Series A for um, called Blue Rock um, in our fifth fund, which raised, I think it was a $225 million Series A, and Bayer uh, Inversant did that investment. Um, and, you know, that's obviously going to be, you know, war chest that that company can take forward. It's in the regenerative medicine space. And that, you know, that didn't really come with rights. So, you know, I think you can get real, you know, real meaningful corporate engagement, you know, without giving up rights. On the pharma side, in some cases you will. On the med device side, we've done some of that. You know, we certainly have done some structured deals, you know, at the early stages along the way. But as you know, I think, you know, it seems like med tech companies have been less aggressive on that front. But you've seen some of it. You know, you've seen some, you know, in many cases, data could be equity. Um, but these option-based deals where a corporate investor will come in and invest with the opportunity to, to uh, buy the company at a certain point. In some cases, that is happening early. Um, and I think you've seen, you know, some groups like Foundries, which are trying to rethink their model. Um, you, you mentioned Stacy earlier. I mean, she's obviously was a part of that at Covidian, um, which I think was called Fire One, where they're bringing in a corporate from the beginning and trying to help shape and frame what they do with, with corporate participation, again, to make sure that they're, they're building a house that, that someone wants to buy. So I think you're seeing some of that. I think you'll see more of it. I mean, my personal view is if you look at med tech companies today, large med tech companies and comparing to big pharma, there's a lot of similarity. You know, these are companies that have, you know, they're, they're market cap and cash rich, but they're pipeline poor. And they've got to find a way to build those pipelines in a way that's, um, you know, P&L friendly. And, um, you know, I think these kinds of deals are, you know, one avenue that they can, they can pursue to, to do that. So I think you'll see more of it. I think it's just we're probably five years behind where pharma is in terms of, of kind of deal-making creativity. So is the any any hold up to this happening hold up not not the best term but it sounds as if there's there's receptivity on on the the startup side on on the VC side it really is just getting full engagement from the corporates at at that level to to make this happen is that is that correct Well I think I mean I think it takes rethinking the model on all on all fronts I mean I think there I think there's been a shift amongst VCs to be open to these. I mean, it used to be the case, you know, the old adage was the best companies are, are bought, not sold. And so you'd kind of go and build a business and, you know, someone would come and take you off your, your path and, and acquire you. And, you know, you'd hope for a, you know, huge takeout value. And I think VCs at this point realize that because of the, the funding gap on the, on the investment side, you got to think differently. And so I think there's been an evolution there. I think if you think about um, entrepreneurs, you know, many of the, the founders of tech companies are more kind of R&D centric. And so they may not come from a, you know, a, a business development background. And so, again, I think it takes some, some learning there of, you know, what kind of deals might be possible. And then on the corporate side, you know, I think you've, you've seen some companies that have been, you know, more creative than others. Um, and so I think you're starting to see, more of that kind of thinking. Um, but I think in terms of the industry broadly, I still think you just don't see the same sort of, you know, kind of deal making aggressiveness that you see 
in pharma. I mean, if you think about it, that's that's the way biotech companies historically have they built their businesses, right, through deal making, where you have you know a portfolio of assets and you're partnering one or two and helping to fund the rest, and you know just that becomes part of the model. Whereas in med tech, you know, in most cases you've got a product that you're developing, and it's more of kind of a you know a linear path that you take. And I think you know at this point you're seeing more people kind of rethink you know how you do that. And um, I think the corporate piece is a part of it. I think it's been an evolution on all fronts. And finally, what what specifically will Versant being be investing in in the med tech on the med tech side? It, there's a perception out there that you're 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 not doing as much med tech as you did, and 20 percent of a of a 400 million dollar fund is is a good amount. But how committed are you to to early stage ventures? What what opportunities will you be? sort of looking for to invest some of this new capital in? Yeah, so, I, you know, we, we certainly are doing less than we were. So I think there there probably is a perception that, that Versant's kind of backed away from med tech. You know, we used to do, it was probably 50-50 or 40-60 or 60-40, depending on the fund, um, you know, med tech to, to biotech. And now we're, you know, at least, you know, prescriptively, 80% biotech, 20% med tech, although that's going to, you know, wax away and based on the opportunity set. So, you know, it could be more than that, but I think that's at least the expectation that we've set with our investors. And, you know, I still personally love early stage projects. I mean, at the end of the day, that's one of the reasons, you know, that we do what we do, which is you have a chance to, to help launch something or, or help shape something at the early stage that, you know, wouldn't exist without the team that's behind it or the capital that's provided or some of the guidance that people on the board can, can provide. So I love those projects. Um, you know, would we do an early stage deal? I think the answer is yes. Um, but you know, it would have to be, you know, really compelling opportunity with a great team, different, differentiated technology and with a strong view that there's the chance for an early takeout. Mm-hmm. And so you look at what happened in the mitral valve space over the last couple of years, you know, we were fortunate enough to be in both 12 and cardiac and, and, you know, did well in both. And so that's an example where our view at least was that if you got to, you know, proof of concept in the clinic, there was going to be a lot of interest and, in, you know, it turned out that way. So, you know, I think it would have to look something like that. Um, I think our bread and butter deal in med tech right now would be a, you know, a, a investment in a company that's that's commercial stage in the U.S. and a lot of it's going to come down to commercial execution and path to exit. And it's not that we don't believe you can you can generate quality returns at the early stages. I think you can. Um, you know, if you're selective about the way you you invest. But if, as we think about portfolio, you know, we have of the 80% biotech, almost all of that is going to be early stage big science, swing for the fences kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, in many cases, you know, companies that we launch out of academic research ourselves. So, you know, we look at med tech as, a, as, as, you know, a part of the portfolio that, you know, can provide some, you know, nearer term, you know, liquidity, um, you know, chance to quote unquote kind of shorten the J curve and turn capital back to our investors. And it's kind of a nice balance in the portfolio um, against what we're doing uh, on the on the biotech side. That's interesting because that's kind of the the formula that had been around historically before medtech became more difficult to to exit from. It was supposed to be the the doubles in in, in biotech would sort of swing for the fences. So, uh, yep, it's, it's certainly yep. a consistent strategy. 
Okay, terrific. Well, it's uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's obviously great to have Versant uh, with uh, with fully loaded and ready to invest. And uh, so happy to have your uh, your help with the MedTech conference. You 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 have been helping. Unfortunately, I know you will be away on June first, but I'm sure you're you're telling your friends that uh, that they should be there at June first at the MedTech conference. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a great conference, Tom. Obviously, appreciate all the work you guys do on it. I, I will be in Europe that week, unfortunately, so I'll miss it. Um, and I, I am bummed uh, because I do think it's a it's a great day. So, um, but yeah, happy to be involved and and I uh, really appreciate you having me on today. Excellent. Well, thanks for taking the time, Kirk. Take care. All right, great. And that is a wrap, Kirk Nielsen. Thanks for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast and for sharing Versant's story. Good luck and congratulations uh, with the $400 million fund. And we look forward to what new uh, MedTech investments you'll be making with that capital. Thanks also to our MedTech Talk podcast listeners for joining us. Take a few minutes uh, to give us a ranking on iTunes. That would be a big help. Also, uh, do tell your friends about the MedTech Talk podcast if, uh, if they're into MedTech innovation and creation as much as you are. Finally, don't forget to register for the MedTech Conference. Go to medtechconference.com. Use your MedTech Talk code and you'll save $200. And then we will see you in Minneapolis.